Welcome to another episode of Michael Motivates Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Carter Jr. This show is to introduce you to individuals that have suffered from mental health due to trauma and share their personal story about using their pain for their purpose, being courageous when others assumed they were hopeless, stories of triumph that enable individuals to help others who are stuck in the darkness to see the light. In today's episode, we talk about you cannot heal what you do not reveal with my special guest, Fatima C. Oliver. She shares her personal story of overcoming trauma from physical and sexual abuse, a personal tragedy, abandonment issues, domestic violence, and a horrible decision-making to become a scholar in psychology, life coach, and a published author. We will discuss her book, The Prescription is in the Dirt, to find out what helpful tools she found as a foundation to build on to find forgiveness and walk in the path of her destiny. Please welcome a courageous and inspiring woman, Ms. Fatima C. Oliver. Oh my God, I'm just over here cheesing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you should be cheesing. <laughs> what an introduction. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I truly appreciate it. I love speaking life with amazing people, people who are just really trying to change the world one step at a time, one person at a time. And I'm just so grateful to be on your platform. Well, thank you for uh, accepting my invitation and being guest yeah. on Michael Motivates. Um, I read your background on your website. I mean, I was, I was, it sent chills to me. Mm. It sparked a light. And I said, I have to get this young lady on because <laughs> what you have been able to triumph over uh, in your life and um, in your personal life is, as I think it, it should be spoken about. And mm -hmm. the simple fact that you were able to share it in your story and, and not only um, go on to achieve a, a, a degree in psychology, I mean, mm -hmm. that is inspiring in itself. My first question to you is, as a young girl growing up, what were some of the adversities you had to deal with at home and school? Uh, well, I think, uh, unfortunately, me, um, as far back as I can think, I've always experienced this cloud of sadness that hovered over me. I always felt kind of isolated, um, alone in my um, in my sadness. And, and so that that stayed with me throughout years until I was able to realize that it was actually depression. And it makes sense to me um, because at the age of two, I was, uh, there was an accident that occurred and I wound up getting burned on 25% of my body. And it's primarily on my feet and my legs. And just growing up at two, having to learn how to eat, walk and talk all over again. Um, the brain is, is tremendous because I don't remember the incident and I have definitely tried it's only because of relatives and vetting their story that I know that that's the story. Um, but, but um, yeah, I got, it was a horrible accident with um, had to do with the water, water heater and, and just spouting out all hot water into a tub. And I wound up being burnt and, and living with that, just getting introduced to the world and getting introduced to friendships and community and interaction and engagement and learning learning social skills around the fact that I was different from the door, physically different. 
was very challenging because not only was I different from outsiders, like external people, but internally, my cousins, my brothers, you know, and um, and it, and it showed itself. You know, I've had where my own relatives, cousins have said, you know, kids and kids, you know how we can be. Um, but stating, uh, Fatima, you're ugly because because of your feet. And having adults in um, worship settings saying, Fatima, can you wear some socks next time? Mm. Um, you know, because they were uncomfortable with what my feet looked like. And and having to um, be pushed by my mother to wear shorts and bathing suits and the, those little jelly bean shoes <laughs> like the other kids. But feeling so insecure because I knew that people were going to stare. And, and so growing up with that was very, very difficult on top of the fact that my mother was a single mom and um, I had our brothers. So I was different because I was the only girl and my mom didn't have time to coddle me because number one, she was a single mom trying to survive and trying to fend for her kids. And the fact that she was raising boys, really raising men, right? And so she had to be so tough. And, and so I got raised with the same hand that my brothers got raised with. So it was just, you know, it, it, it made me feel very isolated, very alone, very sad and not having anyone to share those feelings with. And ultimately, I learned to not pay attention to my feelings. I learned to be tough and not even tough, because I think tough and hardness are two different things. I learned to be hard and rough um, to survive. And I really didn't learn how to process my emotions until very later on in my in my age, like late 30s, early 40s is when I learned to process my feelings. Mm. Wow. And you had so you hadn't had nobody to to go to, to talk to. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. so you really just had yourself and God really to to show you the way and to to help you cope with the pain that you were going through. Yeah. And, and uh, truth be told, I was a Buddhist until I was 19 years old. So I didn't even know Jesus, God, um, the Holy Spirit, any of those type of experiences until I was around 20. Um, when I, when I fully um, just gave into the Lord. So spirituality was very big in my family. We just went through a different route. And so it was more meditation based, you could say, to, to try to give some type of, type of an example or understanding. It was more um, methodical and um, meditative. And so I learned how to um, calm myself through chanting, um, almost feeling like you're in a form of meditation. But I didn't have anybody to outwardly say, I'm in pain. I don't know what to do with this sadness. I don't know why I feel this way. I didn't have anybody, anyone around that um, had uh, brought those conversations to me or that I felt comfortable with having those conversations with. Mm. So how, how did you cope with the pain how, at an um, early age? Yeah, it just was. Just like the, the, the trees were green, just like the grass, just like the flowers, the sadness just was. That was a part of me. Mm. And that is truly what I believed to be was normal. I didn't realize that what I was feeling was not normal until early in my 30s. 
because I had even had suicidal, um, the fancy word nowadays is suicidal ideation. Um, but basically, um, you know, thoughts of ending my life, figuring out how I was going to do it, attempts. I did that through my um, young adult years when I was out of the home. Um, but I really believe it was more so for attention because I was screaming on the inside for somebody to, to, to just ask me what's wrong, you know, to just walk through the steps of helping me figure it out. I was screaming for that help. And that was the only way that I could get the attention. And, um, um, and so from there, I stopped because I never got the attention, but I always felt it inside that my life was just so exhausting. I really just wanted to end my life. It had nothing to do with, I feel like uh, people would be better off without me. It wasn't that thinking. It was more so I'm in so much pain. I just want the pain to end. And so it really wasn't until around 34, 35 years old um, when I realized that this was not right. Um, and there was a way to get help. I should say that, that I realized that there was a way to get help. Earlier on, I felt like this, it wasn't right. But when I went to people and said, I feel like something's wrong with me. I feel like I'm going crazy. When I would say those things, I had people around. Um, they didn't, they didn't know any better. I believe that they experienced similar, but, but they enabled me. They said, girl, ain't nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. Or they would say, pray more. Maybe you need to fast. You know, maybe you need to go to church more. Maybe you need to just really lean into God. And all of that was wonderful, except for it wasn't um, applicable. Like it wasn't anything tangible that I, that I could hold on to to keep me sane. And so I would do those things. I would go to prayer. I joined intercessory, intercessory prayer and I learned how to pray like the best of them. I joined worship and I joined almost every auxiliary in the church. And, um, and I leaned into worship. Um, but once those moments were over and I had to go to work and I had to engage with people on a regular basis, those sad moments came back. And so, like I said, not until I was around 34, 35, when I was crying in my car and um, I've done it, I had done it before. This time I was crying in my car, snotting all over the place. And I was like, God, please help me because I really can see myself driving my car through that intersection. And I thought about it over and over and over again. And I'm like, God, I need you to help me because I really want to do it. And it's like out of nowhere, I felt like God hit me on the head <laughs> and said, go to the doctor. And it was like, I had never heard that before. It was like manna from heaven. Like it was just like such new information. I had seen commercials, <laughs> right? I had seen, I had seen the little black and white person with the cartoon character with the water coming down on them, the cloud following them. Like they're the only ones being rained on. And I, I looked at that person and I said, that's how I feel. But I never took the other step. And so in that moment, I felt like God was telling me, it's okay to get medical help. You're still saved. You're still a Christian. You still love me, but you need medical help. And I've created these people for that purpose. I gave them this skill for that purpose. Mm -hmm. And so it was in that moment, that one moment that I seized that opportunity and I humbled myself and I went to the doctor and I sat on that bed and I must have cried and just explained the best way I could that I felt like something was wrong with me. And that's when I found out 
um, that I was cl- clinically depressed. Out of all those years, I had carried that pain and I didn't know what name to put on it. I thought it was me. I thought I could work it out. I thought I could pray it out. And I realized that um, I really needed medical attention. Mm. You know, depression is is so, it's like a secret. Like mm. nobody knows what depression looks like only the person that's dealing with it. Yeah. And it's so hard to describe to others because they don't know what you feel. They don't know the the things that are going on inside of you that they'll, you know, I've had people say, oh, just pray or everything will be all right or work itself out. Yeah. But it's something inside of you, especially when you've had trauma yeah. that it carries with you and you carried it for so long. How, how did you not give up? Uh, I really think... Well, number one, I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't know it was abnormal to feel that way. So I believe that helped, even though it kept me in bondage. Mm. Um, It made me think that my outlook was, well, I have seen many strong women in my life. I was mainly raised around women and I've seen unbreakable women. I think that uh, sidebar on that, we'll have to have another conversation on that as far as... um, just that outlook on the people that we are meant we're mentored by not seeing them vulnerable it can be a a huge hindrance um because it can stifle us from being vulnerable um and so i grew up with strong women man i mean every woman i could think of every person that that was around me, the, my babysitter, you know, my aunts, my mom, everybody, the neighborhood mama, you know, everybody in the neighborhood were strong and you never saw them break through any situation. You never saw them break. You saw them angry, but you never saw them cry. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my outlook was if I can't be like that, I'm weak. If I can't be like that, something's wrong with me. I need to, I need to raise up. You know, I need to step up. I need to be able to handle these situations better. And so that's that was my motivation. That's what I did throughout all those years. I pushed myself. You need to be stronger. You need to be tougher. You wear your um, feelings on your sleeves. You got to toughen up, Fatima. And so that's what I told myself. And um, and yeah, until that that conversation that I had with myself broke me and I couldn't push myself anymore. Mm. And and even when I when I decided to actually go and get the help and I was so relieved when somebody told me the doctor told me, I know what you're going through. I can't explain to you how relieved I felt. It was like I could lay down a burden for the first time in my life. Yet I was still afraid to tell those closest to me. And I didn't tell my mom until I was about, I think, two, three months into taking medicine and feeling better, um, I was so scared to tell her. And I didn't tell, um, it was my boyfriend at the time, my husband, I didn't tell him till around that time also. And I felt ashamed when people would talk about it on social media, I I was so ashamed, I I felt embarrassed and I would never chime into the conversations to defend anyone with depression, um, even though I knew how they felt because I felt like people were gonna look at me differently you know, and sometimes I still can feel that way. And I have to talk myself, basically tell the devil to stop because I don't even live in that space anymore. But there are moments when I feel weak and I feel 
Um, like, like to your point, Michael, when I'm trying to explain to somebody what I'm going through, if I share with the wrong person, I can walk away feeling like I'm weak. So mm-hmm. I have to guard my space. I have to know who my safe place is, where my safe place is, who those people are in my safe place and share only with them because not everybody can walk this journey with me. And I've had to learn that the hard way. That's a powerful statement. And to be able to walk your journey and recognize who can walk along with you in your journey. Yeah. That I think that takes a, a spirit with God that you can only know who you can be with. It's kind of like, you sense the energy in the room, yeah. you, you you sense their vibe. And that's a gift that you pick up along the way. Yeah. I guess it's because you've held your guard up and you've stayed so strong that you got to protect yourself because you don't want to, you don't want to be hurt anymore. And I know what it's like to um, be afraid to, to, to tell family. I mean, you said you were afraid to tell your mom and, and, your fiance at the time yeah that you were dealing with depression did you ever feel like you were you were the victim like did you ever blame yourself um I I definitely walked through self-victimization I was a victim for um a lot of areas in my life definitely um there's no other way to to see it I mean, uh, Stephen Wonder could see I was a victim, <laughs> you know, sexual abuse, domestic abuse, um, being abused as a child, um, abandonment from my father, um, being raised by an old school mama who did not spare the rod one bit, but even, but even disciplined angry. And so there were some um, spankings that I got that were not warranted and my brothers got that were not warranted. So there was some definite victimization there. And I really think it's important to acknowledge that in my story and in anybody's story, it's important to me to acknowledge that because if not, it gives people an opportunity to um, lessen your, your battle, right? And you got your scars, you should be able to acknowledge how you got your scars. At the same time, I lived in a self-victimization, meaning it's because of these things, I cannot be anything more than what I am. And I will forever be a victim. I will forever look at myself as not loved and not wanted and incapable of many things that I want to do in my life because of what has happened to me. And that's self-victimization. And so um, I lived in that space too. So over the time through working through my healing journey, which for me means that I'm listening, I'm leaning into what my emotional space is saying, what my spiritual space is saying, what my physical space is saying, what my mental space is saying, and I'm, I'm listening for the first time. Um, So I'm acknowledging that I ain't been praying as much as I used to be. I'm acknowledging that I'm an emotional wreck. And anytime anybody say something to me, I'm just popping off at the split second. I'm acknowledging that I'm tired and wore out and I can't get out of bed Um, or that, you know, I lose my attention real easily. Um, I'm acknowledging all of these things and I'm leaning into God and I'm saying, why am I this way? And so I walk through that journey of him showing me the things that I consider hangups and hurts um, that I had to work on each one individually 
to work out why these things are impacting me in this way, physical way or emotional way or spiritual way. And then how do I work through that thing so that it can release me from the bondage of it? And so I had to do that work and I did it individually on the sexual abuse, on domestic abuse, on my marriage falling apart, on the death of my child, all those things I did that individual work on. And because of that, I was able to decipher between being a victim and self-victimization. But when I told my mom and my husband, it really was the fear came in really anybody I told, the fear came from our community and just how mental health is viewed as and the spiritual community and how mental health is viewed. And, and like I said, I grew up with women and people around me that were always put out there their strength, never saw them disappointed. I never saw them sad. I never saw them shed a tear and then re, re um, uh, you know, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Regroup. I never saw that. I never saw defeat and then regrouping. I always saw anger and determination. And so I'm about to come and show vulnerability to these people who are always strong and angry and determined. Right? So it's like, I, I always felt like they were going to look at me as weak and nobody ever said that I was. But there was just this culture in my family and in my community, the people that I was around, that it was if you can't handle these certain things in your life, you're weak, you know. And and so although it was never said, I definitely felt that. And um, I had to work through because of that, I had to work through who I could allow in that circle you know, maybe this person, maybe my mom isn't the best person, not saying she wasn't, but maybe she's not the right person in this example. Or maybe my brother isn't the right person in this example. Maybe my father is the right person. Maybe I need to pay for a counselor. Maybe that's the right person to share these intimacies, these vulnerabilities, raw vulnerabilities with, you know, just because I'm feeling it and thinking it doesn't mean I'm going to do it. So I need to make sure that I'm talking to the right person. I don't need somebody, my grandma calling up somebody to commit me when I just need to talk. <laughs> right? right. So I had to figure that out. Who was, who was my safe place? And, and, it, and it didn't happen overnight. Um, unfortunately it was trial and error. And, and so now I know who those group of people are that I can reach out to and say, you know what, I'm just having a really very bad day. And they know what that means and they know how to they know how to work with me. They know how to go on the journey with me to help me climb out of the pit that I've fallen in. Because even today, I have moments where a disappointment just buckles me and and I'm having to use my resources, use my tools that I've learned through therapy and my spiritual tools to come out of that hole. Mm. Wow. I mean, you to be able to recognize your spirit, to be able to recognize, uh, you're able to recognize things going on internally, and you were able to fix each or work to repair each one of them through trial and error. Because you said in your book, discomfort can bring so much clarity and has often been the vehicle used to nurture your relationship with God. Was that the clarity that God gave you that directed your direct your feet to follow him for sure so but it took me making the step first and mm. 
making the step in faith. You know, when the lame man wanted to be healed, Jesus said, you know, give me your hand, right? Take up your bed and walk. It wasn't, let me heal you first and then get up. It was get up. (laughs) (laughs) So he didn't know if he could walk, you know, it took faith. And so I like to use that example because in my walk, and I believe in anybody's journey, I really believe this, um, dealing with like psychodynamic issues, meaning things from your past that has hindered you in such a pivotal way that you don't know how to move forward. These are traumas. They, and it doesn't even have to go back all the way to your to when you were a child. It could be that you were left at the altar. You know, it could have been that you gave your, your life to somebody for years and then they decided they didn't want to get married or they didn't want the relationship. You know, it could be uh, uh, the death of a child, something so traumatic that is that has kept you in bondage. And so for me, I had multiple things. A lot of people had multiple things. So I had to, in faith, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. It said that in the book too, right? <laughs> I didn't have a clue, right? I was walking a faith walk. I just knew that I needed to be healed. I just knew that I needed to be not what I was, right? And so, and I knew who to go to. And so in faith, I got on my knees and I prayed to God and I said, God, help me. It really was that simple. It was, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I have anxiety five days out of seven. I don't know why my medicine isn't working. I don't know why I want to still end my life. I don't understand, but I know that this is not right and I need you to help me. It was a desperate plea to God to help me. And then in faith, I did, I worked my tools that I already had in my toolbox. I knew that the enemy comes to kill and destroy. I knew that I needed to get my mental space captive. And so I started researching um, uh, messages on the brain and how the brain operates. And I started also looking up messages on a spiritual battle, spiritual, you know, battles in the mind. So I used, I I used, you know, both of those tools to be able to, by faith, putting into place what I needed to save me. Hmm. And so, and also in that process, I decided that I needed somebody on my team who I could trust to tell my deepest, darkest thoughts to that wasn't going to judge me. And so that made me go to therapy, but I found a Christian therapist so that I didn't have to change my, my lingo, change how I talked um, because they didn't believe in God. So I just did strategic things um, before I ever got the healing to help myself. Right. So when we're talking about, we want to be healed and we want God to do something for us. A lot of times he wants us to do things in the natural for the spiritual to occur. And so those are my steps in the natural. And I and and when I started going to therapy and when it got uncomfortable and when I was ready to quit and say, girlfriend, I'm not telling you all this. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> we don't do therapy anyway. Um, when I got to that place, I had to have what I consider a come to Jesus moment. And I had to say, how how bad as you want to, Fatima, you know, um, at some point you have to participate in your own healing. And so in that humility, I decided to start participating in what the therapist would encourage me in the exercises. And I started literally looking at my life and looking at the events of my life, um, the things that I continue to think about. 
the things that I continue to get upset and angry about whenever they come up in conversation. I looked at those things and I said, why do they trigger me? And then I peeled them back like an onion. And I like to use an onion because I cried a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I peeled each situation, each incident back like an onion until I got to the core of what the situation was. And it was not easy work, but it was necessary. And I took one issue at a time, baby steps. And I I leaned on my help, my safe place, which was my therapist and which were God-fearing women that were in my circle. And even my husband, I leaned on them when it got tough in each situation. And then when I got to the core of the issue, I was able to say, is it something I should be carrying or is it something that somebody else should be carrying? Like I'm carrying sexual abuse when I was 11. Why am I carrying that? I need to let that go. That's not my responsibility. That wasn't on me. And so when I learned that because I had been carrying it and I didn't realize that I was codependent towards family members because I felt guilty for something I shouldn't feel guilty over. When I got to the core, I realized I didn't have no guilt. So then I was able to release myself from that. And releasing myself from that guilt helped my anxiety. It helped me be less depressed in that area. You see what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I took every incident that was a hang up for me, that was a hurt for me, and I dissected each one. The way that I dissected, I think it's important to say, is that you could think of six columns on a paper. I believe it's six, maybe it's five, but I get it confused. So just walk with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I always mess that part up. And I should know this by now. If there's six columns and five. But I take six columns on a sheet and I make, I make columns on a piece of paper. And the first column, it says who or what? Who was the person specifically or what was the specific situation? And I write their name down. So I'm going to say my dad. He was a specific person. What happened is the next column. I do specific incidents. I don't group them unless it was a consistent thing that always happens. Like he always lies. Then I can say he always lies. And then I'll give an example. In this case, I will say he didn't come to my graduation when I was 18. I called him. We didn't have a relationship, but I really wanted him to come. And I called him at work, the only number I had, and I asked him to come to my graduation and he didn't even get out the phone to see if he could come. He just said, I can't come, I gotta work that day. And it broke my heart. And I got off the phone and he didn't come. Third one is, how did it make you feel? It made me feel embarrassed. I was ashamed, I was humiliated. I didn't want, I mean, I just, I felt so embarrassed. And that was how it made me feel. That's the third column. The fourth column, what was the damage that happened from that? From that incident and how it made you feel, what was the damage? Well, I stopped. I made a determination that I would never ask him for another thing in my life. He would never be available to help me. Like he would never, it don't matter if I need his help. I would never ask him for help ever in my life. He would never see me vulnerable like that ever again in my life. That's the damage. So my entire life, I went with, would never ask him for a thing. I don't care if I'm begging for water, I won't beg him. Okay. Now, who was at fault? All right. So I go back to I was to when I was 18. Well, technically it wasn't my fault. I mean, he just didn't want to be in my life. Why would he why would he not be in my life? I don't know, but it wasn't my burden to bear. That was him not wanting to step up as a father. Okay. So I recognize that it was him. I recognize all the feelings, all the damage. But then the big one is now what? Now what is the juggler? 
because it's like you recognize that it wasn't your fault, but what are you going to do with the pain? Are you going to continue to carry it or are you going to release it and say, I no longer will allow something to happen at 18 years old from a man who had his own issues define my life. I'm releasing it. I'm letting that go because clearly he had issues. It didn't have nothing to do with me. And I need to stop making it seem like it has something to do with me. So I'm making a choice to release that pain from my life, from my soul, from everything in me so that I can move forward. Right. And that's what I did with every single situation in my life. And it was those steps that helped the anxiety to release to help that helped me be able to get more manageability around depression, around the depression. And um, it has carried me through for many years. But I got to be honest, I didn't learn that till I was like in my 40s. So it wasn't anything that happened overnight. It was it was a gradual process of God working on me and me walking through the steps of how much do I want to go? How far do I want to go to get healed? Am I willing to do the work to get healed? You know, it, it was a process. Wow, it, it definitely is a process. And I know the feeling of of it taking time to to heal and, and to let go of things. I mean, I'm, I'm 45 and it just took me maybe like three, four years ago that I had to let go of, of a trauma and find closure of my past with the, with the head injury that I suffered from a security guard. Mm. What inspired you to go to college to study psychology? Um, It really was because of my personal journey. It was the personal journey that I went through and um, God leading me to write a book about it and then seeing the impact that it has had on people, um, people that I even knew. I thought I knew them and they're them coming to me and sharing some deep stories with me because they read my book and felt that I was somebody they could talk to. I was their safe place. And um, and just really been inspired and having people asking me to work with them. And so I say tripping into um, writing a book and then stumbling into becoming a transformational coach. And um, and I and, and just the the fascination of how the brain operates and how it can protect us from from such traumatic things, but also how we can keep ourselves imprisoned by what we store in our subconscious. And so it was those things that really catapulted me into going back to school and um, for my master's in psychology and, um, you know, and, and, and just um, making people feel comfortable that when I'm speaking with them, that I have some education behind what I'm speaking about. Um, but the truth is I definitely already have a PhD in the hard knocks of life. So, (laughs) so, um, before I was even, um, before I even, you know, was venturing into school, you know, I was, I was helping people, um, really just being a steward and being, um, a witness to God working in their lives based on, um, some baby steps that I have, um, um, put together and was able to offer, offer these individuals. Did you, did you write the book first and then attend college or you you wrote the book first? Yeah. Yeah. So I I wrote the book and really what it was is I went through um, a very intense um, study um, based on uh, 
Celebrate Recovery um, program, and it's a Christian-based program. And so I went through this study, and it took about 11 months, and it helps helps you to walk through your hurts and your hangups and um, diving in like I shared with you and how to resolve one, resolve them one at a time. And so afterwards, there is this encouragement to write a testimony about where your life was at, what, what your um, big hangups were, um, what your rock bottom moment was before you started the program and what you learned, key things that you could take away from the program and, and where you are now in, in your journey um, to healing. And when I wrote, wrote the testimony, I looked back on it and said, well, shoot, that's a book. Mm, mm. And so I just said, I'm about to sit here <laughs> and I'm just going to start writing. And I just started writing and I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop writing. It was, it was so easy because it was a story I had already been telling myself for years. Mm. Um, I had already been living it over and over, and over again in my head about all the things that had happened to me, about the things where people have failed me, the, the places where I failed people. I've already been telling these stories in my head. Everybody has a story. So I just took my story and started writing it and, and just, you know, really, really tried to work hard at expressing um, my truth, regardless of, of what people think. And, um, and so, yeah, I took that big leap and, and then it became a book and got published and, and people started buying it. And I was just like, wow, I'm actually an author. <laughs> and, and then it just grew from there. And so um, now I have three books. I have one on, on generational habits of parenting. Um, and, and I use my, my children as the examples um, in a book called I Said What I Said. And, um, and, and in that, I, I touch on mental health as well, but also our generational habits, generational things that we've learned from our parents that we pass into our kids and, and just what that can look like. And I share my, my true accounts. And, and then I have my original book, The Prescription is in the Dirt, but I also have my enhanced version that just got um, republished by um, Trinity um, Broadcasting Network. They came behind me and published it. And so now it's available everywhere books are sold. I'm very excited about that. Congratulations. And um, thank you. And what I was able to do with the book, the original book, was actually add reflective questions, some questions similar to what I, I walked through. Mm -hmm. I'm able, I was able to um, offer those. So in every chapter, of my enhanced version, and it's called, the, I should say second edition, of The Prescription is in the Dirt. It's called Rising Through the Pain. In that book, you will find reflective questions in each chapter to help you to walk your own personal journey of healing. And they're baby steps. Of course, there's more healing as you go on, but these are definite solid questions that I think everyone has to ask themselves at one point in time, to be able to truly seek healing in their lives. And so I've incorporated quite a few of those in my book. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you answered like three of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm like, this woman is phenomenal. Not only is she an author, but she's reading my questions through the, <laughs> through the interview. Wow. And I have superhero strength, huh? Right? It's amazing. <laughs> but... 
I, I found out that write, writing saved my life um, and it allowed me to tell my story and help me to find closure um, yeah. with my past. Did writing help you find closure in your past? Yes, it was the therapy I didn't know I needed. And um, the funny thing is, I've always loved writing. As a kid, seventh grade, I loved writing. I, I even wrote an article, I wrote a letter to Ronald Reagan, <laughs> telling my age. I wrote, a, I wrote a, a letter to Ronald Reagan, and they actually um, put it in our local paper mm-hmm. um, when I was in the seventh grade. I, I loved writing. And um, and I was, you know, d- did everything writing. But as I as I aged in my twenties, making bad, mis- you know, horrible mistakes, and um, just doing stupid stuff, and and continuing to experience tragedy, my journaling became so sad. I just got tired of reading the sad stuff, so I stopped writing. And so when I started going to therapy, my therapist actually said, "I think you should start back writing." Um, it'll be very therapeutic. And I was like, no, I don't want to write. Like, mm. I have no desire whatsoever to write. Um, it was me going through the program that was similar to a Celebrate Recovery program, Christian-based program, that requires writing. Everything that you do in that program, you must write. Mm. And so my answers to these deeply rooted questions, I had to write my answer. And that's what got me back into writing. Um, it's just being um, thinking about um, what I was processing and writing what I was processing. And so now I see that I can't stop writing. It is true therapy for me in a way that a therapist can't ha- ha- um, help me. Um, it is God's therapy. God gave me the gift. And so I must continue to write. Um, it's like breathing for me. It is, I think writing is a great form of therapy. It's it's interesting you said that you used to write when you were in seventh grade because I I used to write when I was in I want to say high school I want to say like ninth grade. So you not only tell your age I'm telling my age. <laughs> yeah. um, I was right. I would I would love to write. And in my grandma I, matter of fact you say you wrote to Ronald Reagan. I wrote to Michael Jackson. Wow. I wrote to Michael Jackson and and. I guess it was his fan club, but he wrote back. Wow, that's so um, cool. Yeah, and then I even even in high school, I we were I think we had an assignment to write to an author or somebody, and I wrote mm-hmm. to an author, and it got it got noticed, and they they published it in in our school paper. Yeah. And then, like you said, I, my grandmother told me I should keep writing. She said you're a very good writer; you should keep writing. And like you said, I I just kept I got involved in other stuff and sports and I let the writing go. Yeah. And then I would, my job when I was in sports, I would always come home and call my mother and say, Ma, I guess who I hung out with. And we went here and we was doing this. And she was like, boy, you need to write a book. You need to keep mm-hmm. a journal of everything that you're doing. Cause you want to, you want to have that, you know, later on in life. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Ma, you're right. But I didn't listen. Mm-hmm. Fast forward two years ago is when I started picking up the pen and writing. And it was during a really horrific time that I just started writing. I was very, I was in a really bad depression and I was just, my life was, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't like myself. I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't happy where I was in life. And I was just in a very dark, dark place. And I just started writing 
And the more I was writing, things just kept coming to life. And I started to see who I was and the things I overcame. And I was like, wow, I was like, this is who I am. And then it, it made me find out who I was as a person Mm. and the things that I was able to overcome and recognize that I have a story to tell and I want to help others. When, when you have that gift of writing and you're able to tell your story, I think that takes courage in itself. <laughs> you, you've touched on so much and you, you spoke on, on a lot of things. What's been your biggest accomplishment? Oh boy. Um, I think my biggest accomplishment, especially in this season of my life, is honestly telling my truth. Um, sharing my story. That was so hard for me because I knew that there were going to be people in my life that wasn't going to be happy and that may not even speak to me again. And that was the first time I believe. um, Well, I mean, I think it was the biggest moment for me, not necessarily the first time, but a true, huge, pivotal moment in my life where I stood up for myself and it made, it meant so much. Like this was such a huge moment where it was important that I stood up for myself, regardless of what people would say. I had kept quiet on things for over 30 years, things that had happened to me, um, things that were hushed, shushed in the home that people knew of, but we didn't speak of. And it didn't do anything for me. It just made everybody else comfortable. But it sent me spiraling into mental illness. And so for the first time, I did something for me that would help my mental health. And I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of that because it just opened up a world for me that I didn't know. And it helped me to value myself more. My, the question that was posed to me by my therapist was, would you prefer to not publish this book and keep all your loved ones or would you prefer to publish this book and give your pain a voice um, and um, have the opportunity to potentially touch so many people but lose some loved ones and I just I couldn't I couldn't not do it And so I'm so grateful that God has used me in such a way to where I understand what's more important. And I'm so grateful that he's given me the the heart to write again. And you know what? To not be ashamed of who I am, of not be ashamed of my brokenness and, um, and to be bold enough to share it. And whoever doesn't like it and they are uncomfortable, the real question is, why are they so uncomfortable with my story? That's not my mess. That's theirs. And so I'm so grateful that um, that God gave me that moment um, because I think it was one of the best moments in my life. Your forgiveness is strength. Your walk is perseverance. And your path to your destiny has been phenomenal, has been inspiring. Do you feel like you have more to do? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know I have at least one more book in me. I really do believe that. 
and I already have my title, but I, I'm not going to share. <laughs> yeah, no, don't share. Don't share. Yeah, yeah. I really do believe that. Yeah, I totally, I knew that from the beginning. Um, I knew that from the beginning uh, when God was showing me that that it was time to start writing and to take it seriously and write and and write this, make this book. Mm-hmm. Um, he he had already showed me that. And so I do know that. And um, I just think now you're going to hear my um, you're going to hear my 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 Alexa because she reminds me because I have a bunch of kids. <laughs> so, um, so just excuse that. But um I definitely feel that, um, you know, I have more in me, not just the writing, but also, um, you know, speaking intimately with people on a one-on-one basis and helping them through their healing journey. And so I'm I'm so excited to be able to set, um, you know, set, set some, some things in place to be able to do that for people. And, uh, and, and it's really been wonderful to see how God has worked in that space. This is a ministry to me. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's not um, a side gig, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is truly a ministry um, to me. I believe that God has opened up my eyes to, to my gift again, but he's also has always shown me that I was an evangelist as far as speaking life into people um, and building people up. And so now just the two come together to do his work. So, so yeah, I'm, I definitely believe there's more. God is amazing, especially when you let him do the work within you. Yeah. Please, how can people get in contact with you? What's your website? Please give all the information. <laughs> people, y'all need to get in touch with Fatima. She is a phenomenal woman with an inspiring story, and she, she wants to help you. Please share your info, Fatima. Yeah, so my website is FatimaC.com, FatimaC.com. And you can go there and get all type of resources. There are some, um, you know, just some general free resources there to help you. Um, There are also snippets of podcasts, um, just different messages that I have. And you can also get my books through that, through my website as well. Um, so I would definitely say um, go and, and shop around, look around and, and see what's there for you. Um, like I said, it's a ministry for me. So um, there's definite space there to set up some time to speak w- with me one-on-one. Um, but you can also catch me on Instagram. And that is Fatima Oliver 1975 on Instagram. And um, it put my year in there. I don't know why I did that, but it did. Fatima Oliver, 1975. And of course, I'm on Facebook and on um, LinkedIn. Um, But yeah, you can definitely find me. And um, I would love, love to hear from um, listeners about their journey. I would love to help them walk through their journey. Um, But if nothing more, get the book, you know, read um, my story because it's definitely it has definitely been a mirror to a lot of people. And um, especially um, my enhanced version where there are questions there. Start the work. You know, you got to start somewhere. And and I think this is a great path to get you um, being real with yourself, you know, because that's a part of it. So definitely pick up my book. It's everywhere. Books are sold. Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Amazon, Walmart. Go find it. Please go pick up the book. The prescription (laughs) is in the dirt. It's a great book. And like she said, you got to stand up. You got to take the stand for yourself. Have faith. And it's trial and error. But have the courage to not be afraid to stand up and go 
and take the chance to change your life. Yeah. Fatima, thank you so much for being a guest. I got to have you back on because I feel like <laughs> there's so much more. I would love to have you back on. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being a guest. You're, you're an amazing woman and oh. phenomenal and inspired woman. And uh, God bless you. Um, you. May God continue to bless you. Fatima Alba, thank you. This has been another episode of Michael Motivates. Thank you for listening. God bless.